0: This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, Show 360.
1: But I also have a, a pretty robust automated marketing system that I use to just keep in contact with my tenants, welcome them in, give them access codes. I started that because I didn't want to pay property management. And then it got so good that now I don't really have to.
2: You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors, large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from biggerpockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everyone? This is Brandon
0: Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. David Green. What's up, David? What are we about to...
2: Not much, dude. Another beautiful day in California. I got to go to the Raider game last night and they nearly really? avoided blowing it in, in the fourth quarter. Yeah, my uncle took me. It was, oh. it was a lot of fun. I actually had a, I'm a big Raider fan. Although don't judge me for that because I have already begun
0: judging you. you don't are you one of the guys get, that like dresses all up like the white face paint and the black? Like, are you that guy? Took your ex- shirt off at the game? Exactly. It's actually yeah, kind whatever. of
2: silly. I noticed for the first time after the game ended because the Raiders won a really close game that they really shouldn't have been that close, right? And the fans go crazy as if they just did something great. And I was noticing that for the first time walking out, hearing everyone celebrating, like, you guys didn't actually win that game, right? And it had me (laughs) thinking, you know, how many times are we we getting caught up in other people's successes and trying to own it as ourselves when real fulfillment comes from when you win the game, when you get the deal, when you accomplish Mm -hmm. the goal that you set out to do. And don't rob yourself of the energy to go out there and accomplish things for yourself because you jump on someone else's, Bandwagon. I was actually talking to you about that in my head, believe it or not, Brandon. Like, Brandon would probably think the same thing. I do that a lot. I have conversations with people that don't know I'm having them. Yeah. So so that's what I've been up to.
0: All right. All right. Well, you can be a Raiders fan and uh, we'll still love you, David Green. Uh, Let's go on, though, to today's. Quick tip, quick tip. All right, today's quick tip. We're asking you for a favor. Look, the podcast, this thing is growing like crazy still. And we're always thinking, how do we make this show better? And you know what would really help us out a lot and make this show better is if you gave us your feedback about the podcast. So hey, if you've gotten value of this show, could you do me a huge favor and take a five minute or less survey? I mean, five minutes if you're slow at it. Uh, Just go to biggerpockets.com slash podcast survey. You can do it on your phone, not while you're driving, biggerpockets.com slash podcast survey, and let us know. The answers are anonymous, and I guarantee you it's going to help us make the show better and help you reach your real estate investing goals next year and beyond. So thank you for doing that. That is today's
3: quick tip. Quick tip. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through rent to retirement, you can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. We need to double check with Zach, Rental Retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? <laughs> it's
0: not that complicated, Rob.
3: REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to rentalretirement.com today. If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where Rent Ready steps in. Now, Rent Ready's got an important new feature: proof of income verification. And get this: with Plaid-certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with Rent Ready. Rent Ready is included in your Pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a Pro, they're offering a six-month plan for one dollar. You can't beat that. I actually. Don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit rentready.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I dot com and use the code BPINVESTOR. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, like me, to get six months of Rent Ready for $1, which is crazy. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income.
0: Time to get on today's show. So today we're interviewing Stephanie Cabral. So Stephanie is a real estate investor in the Connecticut market, uh, who has really done an awesome job of building up a a portfolio to the point where she just put her notice in to quit her job, which is kind of cool. And so she talked about how she did that. She got some great stories today. I mean, like for example, her first deal, she'll talk about how she got $100,000 off their asking price. $100,000 off her asking price. She goes into how how she uses virtual assistants and man, she taught me a ton of stuff about using virtual assistants that I'm going to start implementing in my business right now. And you can as well. And a lot of automation and marketing and so on and so forth. You guys are going to love this. So without further ado, let's get to today's interview with Stephanie. Stephanie, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. Good to have you. Oh,
1: thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about your real estate. What do you do? What do you, how, how, actually, let's go. How'd you get into it?
1: Well, so I'm a buy-and-hold investor in Connecticut, and I'm a lawyer by trade. And I knew pretty early, uh, actually, even before graduating, that I didn't want to stay in law. So um, I took a job at a firm that allowed me more flexibility than than a typical entry associate would. But in exchange, I wasn't paid the same way an entry associate would be. So I couldn't afford the house that I wanted. So in hindsight, that ended up being the best blessing because I still had to get the house that I wanted, but I had to do it in a non-traditional way. So I ended up buying a condemned duplex using a 203k loan and house hacked it at the beginning. So that was my first foray into real estate. Uh, But it wasn't until... Really? Yeah. Fast forward three years later, I had gotten my real estate license. I knew that I really liked real estate, but I still hadn't gotten the awakening that that's actually what I wanted to do. So I had built up some commissions being an agent and had some money to play with. So I decided I would buy a house, a single family house to move into because that's what you do eventually, right? Sure. Yeah. So I went and bought a single family house using the uh, the money that I had. I did the renovations myself. It, it needed some work. And halfway through the renovations, I found bigger pockets. I was actually sitting uh. on the floor of an unfinished bathroom with a stack of tiles in front of me and a book that said how to tile 101. And I learned it. Well, my mindset completely shifted when I heard the podcast, and when I started to really dig into it. And so I made the shift from not wanting to move to where my mortgage would be less expensive, but to stay where I was because my gross rent would be higher if I stayed than if I moved. And then after that, I started to really understand the power of investing, so I started to use the BRRRR strategy. Um, still, I was still working full time as a lawyer and as an agent, and then building up a portfolio of single families and duplexes through the Burr. All of my projects have been renovations, and I just hit the two million mark in real estate, and was able. And a few years ago, I was able to drop down out of out of full time work into part time, which is great. So
2: that's awesome.
1: Yeah. So here I am. On the okay, right.
2: so you're a lawyer by trade. You're also yeah. a real estate agent. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your portfolio. Where Where are you at now?
1: So I'm at 12 units, single families, mostly duplexes. I really consider myself a buy and hold agent. I'm all my all my product is in central Connecticut. Recently, I've switched over into a little bit more of flipping, just because that's where uh, my market has taken me. But yeah, they've all been renovations anywhere from light, light value add, like a $15,000 project to a full gut layout remodel, $160,000 duplex um, mm. renovation. So, But I don't have any partners, so I'm the janitor and the CEO all in one in my projects nice. and do all my management myself, my leasing and handle all of, you know, juggle a lot of hats, I guess.
2: Okay. And are you still practicing law and being a real estate agent while doing all this?
1: Yes and yes. Um, I actually just gave my notice to my law firm. So I'll be going full-time in real estate at the end of the year, which is really exciting. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks to you too. And I also, um, so I've been a commercial real estate agent and I'm going to switch over to working really more my stuff and then also helping other people get started just like I did with uh, house hacking duplexes and tries and things like that. So uh, I'll switch over as well. But yeah, I've been juggling all the hats up until the end of the year, basically.
2: That's great.
0: That's great. All right. So let's go back to, to the beginning. And I want to know about, you mentioned the 203k in case we kind you know, we, we kind of burned right through that, but I do, I, I love that program when it works. And so I want to know your experience. What is the 203k program? And how did that work for you?
1: Yeah. So it's an owner-occupant FHA loan that combines the purchase price of the house and the renovation costs into one loan. So it's amortized over the full 30 years. So for me, not having any renovation experience, it was amazing because it allowed me to look at properties that would otherwise just not have been accessible to me as as an FHA buyer. So I was able to take a property that was in a great area of town that was condemned, that really only investors were looking at, and it had no floors, it had no ceilings, walls in all the wrong places. The inspector said it was the easiest inspection ever because nothing worked, and uh, it was out <laughs> really quickly. And so I was given because it, uh, because of the value of the renovations, I was given a HUD consultant who did the scope of work for me. He was uh, I'm the client, so he actually represents me, making sure the contractor does the work really well. And ultimately I got a great deal on a house. I put three and a half percent down and that three and a half percent is on the purchase price plus the renovation costs. But still, you know, not many people can say that they designed their house on the first shot. And, you know, I got a lot of sweat equity involved. I also, it really helped me when I wanted to go for hard money and transfer into you know, private lending because I had experience doing renovations. I had I had a track record, and and having the HUD consultant add some expenses because you have to pay for them to come out and inspect the work that the inspector does. But it's so worth it because otherwise, you know, I I wasn't qualified to do my own estimate. Excuse me, to do my own estimating or to measure the quality of work and even understanding what materials to use. You know, I just yeah. I just wasn't qualified. So. And what's nice about it is it's just a one-time closed loan. So you close at the purchase and you can roll your, not not just your construction costs, but you can tr- you can roll your rent co- or your mortgage payments in for a few months as well. So you can be mortgage-free. Oh, that's us. cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's a cool that's product. That's neat. It is a pain in the butt though. I think it's yeah. an amazing product for somebody that has administrative stamina because yeah. you are going to be... Yeah you know, every single request, you have to submit the entire package again. So my loan took three months to do. And I was getting angry phone calls from the seller wanting me to close, but they stuck with me. They kept extending. Um, and I finally closed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember the same thing with the 203k stuff I've been involved with. Again, I haven't actually done a 203k loan, but I was the contractor on my buddies. And, uh, back when I was a contractor and it was just, it was just hell every step of it. But What's so great about it is you can buy a property for three and a half percent down of the total, like what you put into it, what you bought it for, all that. So it's really is a fantastic loan if you're willing to put up with the administrative hell that goes into it. I like that phrase, administrative stamina. Yeah, that is good.
2: That is a good phrase. Yeah, that's a very nice way of saying I need patience. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) So you you the nice thing is also they could work, you know duplex, triplex, fourplex. So you said those was a duplex, right?
1: This was a duplex, but it goes up to a fourplex, yeah,
0: yeah. what do you remember what did you pay for that property, and then what did you end up putting into it?
1: I put in uh, so I bought it for one thirty three and it was funny. it was actually on the market for two thirty three. And I had Whoa. put in an offer for 133. They said, "Go away." And a year later, <laughs> it was still on the market. I put in an offer again, 133, and at that point, uh, you know, it hadn't moved, so I got it. So, so
0: you got a hundred thousand dollars off your first property. Oh
1: yeah, almost fifty percent discount. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um,
1: that's, that's awesome. Because that's what I could afford. So I yeah, I put in 133 offer, and then I put in, uh, 50, just about 50. So I was all okay. in for 183 and it just appraised recently for 283.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So, so now at the end of the day, you have a duplex that you're living in, that you were living in half of it. Yep. So you're living cheaper, maybe for free. I don't know where your numbers came to, but
1: almost free. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Almost free. You've got a remodeled house. Yeah. Right? You, it's kind of like your dream house or at least like what you want. It's fixed up, so hopefully your repairs are a little bit less because everything's been fixed. Mm-hmm. You now have forced equity in it, mm-hmm. and you did the whole thing for three and a half, three and a half percent down, like that. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's why we love this loan. It's like as annoying as as it is. Yeah, it's that uh, come like it's not very comfortable, but it sure does uh, pack sure. a big punch.
1: Yeah, for a, for a new person getting started that doesn't understand how to estimate, doesn't understand you know the process, really like they walk you through it. They hold your hand and um, yeah. the, the bank really kind of pushes pretty heavy on the contractor to make sure the work is done and done well. So I appreciated it so much. And then I was able to take a HELOC out on it. So this house just keeps on giving. So it's been a great, yeah, dra- cool. great project.
0: That's cool. Can you you explain HELOC real quick? What do you mean by took a HELOC on it so people know? Uh,
1: HELOC is a home equity line of credit and it basically means you are opening a line of credit based on the equity that you have in your home and that, that HELOC is secured by the home itself. So I think it's better than a refinance because you're not paying, uh, you're not making a payment unless you're actually deploying the money. So it's just a great way to have extra cash available to you to deploy it at your, at your convenience. Yeah. Another
2: something. benefit to a HELOC is you don't pay closing costs. That just doesn't get brought up very often when people talk about the costs of real estate. But closing costs on on loans and refinances they're not cheap. Uh, My brother's trying to refinance a house he he bought for. A, he's trying to take out seventy grand, and the closing costs are ten thousand dollars, which is oddly enough about the same as if you're taking wow. a loan for like five hundred thousand dollars. You know, because to the <laughs> lender it's the same amount of work, so they they adjust the basis points you're paying on that loan for lower loan balances. So anytime that you can avoid having to pay that, that's a really big expense in a HELOC. I think most of the time you just pay an appraisal fee and maybe like, you know, a hundred bucks or so to the bank for some person to fill out paperwork. But it's a lot cheaper than like you said, Stephanie, having to pay closing costs on this thing and then make payments regardless of if you're using the money or not. Another thing I want to point out about what you said Because Brandon and I get asked a lot about these two or three K loans. It's, it's, it's a very, on paper, it's an easy way to get started. You don't need a lot of money. It's a great program. And in reality, sometimes it doesn't work because it's such a headache. And I know a lot of people think, well, should I do it or not? And probably a better way to look at it is it will work on a specific kind of property. So something like you with a seller that could not sell it, that needed you and valued you as a buyer, was going to keep giving you extensions, was going to deal with the headache, was going to give you the time for the administrative stamina that you needed. It's a great method to use. It's a great tool in that situation. If you're out where I am in the Bay Area and you're trying to buy a house that gets seven other offers and you're trying to buy it with an FHA loan and a 203k extension, that's a terrible idea. Sellers are going to throw it off. So, try to get at for the listeners, you don't want to be thinking about is it good or bad? Yes or no, right? It's is this the right tool for this deal that I'm trying to take down? And Stephanie, you're a smart person, so you figured out this is perfect for me. I really like that you use it on that deal. You wouldn't try to do it on a house that has seven other offers and they don't need to put up with your your loan.
1: Right. I mean, if the seller has a good agent, they're going to be counseled away from taking a, an offer from a 203k borrower. But what it does have going in its favor is uh, usually the financing terms are so much better than what an investor is getting if they're not con- conventionally financeable anymore and they're doing commercial lending. So the homeowner that's going to be also an occupant can usually afford to pay a little bit more uh, if their priority is to house hack and just keep their costs down, and and they're just trying to get in, so I think that's why I ended up beating out a few other uh, investors was because I was willing to pay as much as I could max out my loan for, and somebody else, you know, I I also wasn't analyzing it using escrows and vacancy and things like mm-hmm. that. I was just trying to figure out how much did I need to contribute at the end of the day. But I have no regrets about that at all. All
0: right, so let's go. Let's move on to your story a little bit. You bought. You said you mostly buy duplexes today. Why? Why do you do that?
1: Well, actually, single families mostly, and then a few. Oh, say so that's right.
0: Single like. family and a few duplexes. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Why? Like, what's um, what's what's kind of your strategy overarching right now? Is that just accidental, or are you? Is that purposeful? Like, this is what I like.
1: That's that just tends to be what's come to me. Uh, but I do find that okay. I really like managing single families and and the duplexes because I think for me the tenant base is really good. Um, they stay longer. It tends to be families that want to make their house a home. So I've got good relationships with a lot of my tenants. I don't have a long marketing period. I keep them for a long time and, and they really take ownership. And I also then don't have uh, any water bills that I have to pay or any lawn maintenance. There's no removal. All of that is just passed along to the tenant. So... You know, I have a smattering. They're also really easy to liquidate. I uh, don't liquidate often, but if I wanted to, you know, single family home, you can sell in the retail market, not just to an investor.
0: This is true. This is true. So, do you manage all your own properties? I
1: do. Yeah. Um, right. And so, I I have a virtual assistant who I use a lot, but I also have a, a pretty robust. Um, automated marketing system that I use to just keep in contact with my tenants, welcome them in, give them access codes, uh, takes their maintenance requests and farms it out to my handyman and contractor. So I started that because I didn't want to pay property management. And then it got so good that now I don't really have to. So I, I manage all my properties myself.
2: That's cool. One thing I want to know Stephanie is you mentioned you buy single family houses, sometimes duplexes, and it got me thinking, sometimes we talk to somebody who only buys triplexes, sometimes it's someone who only does HUD housing. There's all these different strategies and what I started to think about is I wonder if the strategy that the person ends up picking that works well is largely dependent on their environment. Like what houses are around you and what works for what you're doing. Can you comment on that like is is Connecticut specifically or the neighborhoods you buy in? Is there something that you notice that makes that a better strategy that might not work if someone was in Kansas City or maybe Miami, Florida?
1: Uh, Sure. So I think there's a few things. One, we tend not to have like sprawling apartment communities. We we certainly have them, but they're not as common as you'd find in Kansas City or the Midwest. And we... there's a stigma of Hartford. I like Hartford, but there's definitely a stigma. Not a lot of um, young professionals are living there. Not a lot of families live there. And so really, our suburbs are getting the most attraction. Um, we're spoiled. We like easy parking. We live in a place where there's snow a lot. And so people just like their conveniences. They like their driveways. And you know we're New England. We have a very uh, private, want-a-home, the quintessential uh, American dream life. So. People love living in a house. It's typically what they tend to go to. So we find it's a really robust market, um, to have single family rentals.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. You know, one thing we, one thing I talk about a lot and David you do as well is when you're trying to get into real estate, some people complain like, uh, you know, I can't find any deals in my market, but like I always said, there's, there's always something that works in every market. There's always something that works everywhere. So you got, you got to figure out what works in your market because there is something in your market. Single family houses seem to work well. But if you're in downtown San Francisco, it's probably not that. If you're in Hawaii, it might not be that. If you're in you know, Oklahoma, it might not be that. So figure out what works in your market or do what David does and go elsewhere in, in your market and go find another market to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have you ever, you've never done out of market stuff yet, right, Stephanie?
1: I'm actively pursuing uh, an out yeah. of market, yeah, because okay. I want to get into multifamily and I don't think that it makes sense mm-hmm. here. And that's the other thing about Connecticut is we don't have natural appreciation here. So forced appreciation is fine through the through the uh, renovations, but we're not experiencing rent growth, population growth, job growth. And so I wouldn't want to take on a multifamily Sure. That's minimal minimal value add in any in any place in Connecticut.
0: Okay, very cool. So uh, you mentioned something that I'm, I'm fascinated by and that you have a virtual assistant that helps you with your property management. Can we talk through that? What does that person do and how'd you find them?
1: Yeah, so I, I actually have a few, but what she does is... She helps me all over the board, not just in uh, not just in property management, but she helps me write offers. She helps me, so she does a lot of interfacing. She does document collection. Uh, so what else does she do? She so I do a lot of automation actually, and she'll prompt the automation to go. So like if the documents are collected, and then the next phase is an email to send out. She'll indicate that the documents have been collected she'll show she'll update the status of the process and then it automatically triggers the next sense um so she also will take the maintenance request when we come in it gets an there's an auto email that comes in and then she'll farm it out to my contractor or something like that mm. but she the one that I'm talking about is actually fairly new I've had a few of them the other one actually the one of my favorite things that he does is he just enters the water bills onto the invoices that get sent out every month. So this was something that was driving me crazy to every single month go into the you know, the water bill website and put it on their, on their invoice. And then by the time the next month came around, I felt like I had just finished doing it. So that's yep. actually the first yep. thing that I outsourced was I just wanted somebody to log in, take the numbers and put it on the invoice. So they do that. That's how I kind of got started uh, with a virtual assistant, actually.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a great, the great tip is like, when you're trying to hire a virtual assistant, which I've hired a few over the years and had some really good success, like Dave Visaya, he's awesome. Shout out to Dave. And then there's others who like, who I've struggled with and, but what I found works the best is when I, when I'm thinking, and I'm actually doing this right now because I'm about ready to hire somebody else as well. I sit there and take a list of everything that I do that annoys me, like every little task that annoys me. And I'm like, I hate that I have to do this every day or every month or every week. And you're like, wait, if this is a re- repetitious task, is this something that I could create a, a manual for or a video that explains how I do this? And yeah, usually, the right. answer is yes. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, that's one thing they can do. And so then you test out some VAs and have them try it and see if you can. Get, even if you, all you did is outsource that one thing, that's education. You're learning how to how to manage a virtual assistant.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right, so let's let's talk a little bit more about the VA thing because again, I think this is such a fantastic thing that I think every investor should look into doing is getting a virtual assistant. And honestly, I don't use I don't use virtual assistants very much for my rental business, but I need to. And so this is super timely for me right now as well. Because there's some simple things that I do that, again, I do them every week or every month, or my wife does them every week or every month, that we could just create a step-by-step checklist. So where did you find your virtual assistant? Where have you found them? How do you know they're going to be good? Just what kind of tips do you have on that, on acquiring one?
1: Yeah. So... I think that for me, I've always used Upwork to, f- to use my virtual assistants, except for one okay. local person who hand writes my envelopes, and they live, you know, 15 minutes from me. Um, but I use Upwork to find my assistants by posting a job, and then. Well, even before that, I think it's really important to know what tasks are you looking for them to do, right? So you were yes, talking about yes. the repetitious tasks. I think that's absolutely the first thing that people should outsource. The things that you do all the time that just really are your busy tasks that are taking you away from your success tasks, right? So you, by, doing the, by writing down what do you do every single month that's just creating some brain damage, you can start to see okay, so these are the administrative things that I need, or maybe these are the social media things that I need. So you start to categorize the types of tasks that you're doing, and that helps you define the role and the personality and the, and the skill sets of who you're looking to hire. I think the second thing that I like to outsource are the things that are the most time-consuming or money intensive. And then I try to implement systems to either make them better or reduce the amount of time spent on performing them, right? So like, if you only buy one house a year, or two houses a year, rather than going back in and repeating and reinventing the wheel every single time, if you have your process in place, you just refer back to it. And it's that much easier to repeat because you're defining your best practices and moving forward. So once you define your best practices, then I think it's important to go in and say, here's the skill sets that I'm looking for, here's the resources that I use to perform that. So I use Podio, I use Google Drive, I use, um, you know, a lot of uh, Adobe Acrobat and things like that. So what are the technology resources that I need? And then what happened to me a few times was I just took for granted uh, some of the basic first world things that I have that I just wouldn't know to make a requirement when I'm outsourcing, like, for example, regular connection to internet. Even like, so even the amount of English that someone speaks is really negotiable when you're hiring them, because are you looking for them to develop a product or a system for you and code it? Or are you looking for them to interface with potential tenants? There's an entirely different range of English that's that's necessary. So I think by defining what you're looking to outsource and then writing that down, putting your resources and... I put everything on Upwork and I also, I tend to hire more than one virtual assistant for each job as kind of a screening test. So I will give three the chance to work on this one job Mm, and get the same exact resources, the same exact instructions, and they're instructed specifically, ask me questions. I want, I want conversation. I want to hear what your sticking points are. I want to encourage dialogue. And usually one or two will just weed themselves out. Either they won't, yes, they won't yes. put the product, they don't, they won't finish the job, or they're just clearly not a fit. And then uh, you kind of go from there. But oh, my yeah, last yeah. virtual assistant I found not because she was doing anything real estate related for me. She it was on Upwork, and I had her um, creating a meal plan for me, and then just adding the items directly into my Peapod cart, and she was from the Philippines and Peapod was blocked. So she's like, I had a problem. Peapod was blocked from my account, but don't worry. I've figured out a way to work around it and fix it. Mm. And so that right there, she she didn't have any real estate experience, but I loved the way she communicated, expressed a problem, already had a solution and knew her way in the, the digital world And she has been a rock star ever since. So I've absolutely loved having her because I saw the qualities that I wanted out of the person that I'd be working with. And she was customer support in in a background and did a lot of auditing. So she had attention to detail, really strong, uh, friendly English demeanor. It was, she's been great.
0: That's great. Yeah, it's so good because you never know. Like, I love your tip about... Yeah, you know, giving hiring 3 or 4 of them and giving them a small task to see what they do. Because you never know how someone's going to be until they do something for you. Right. Like this is true for all employees, whether it's a virtual assistant or not. You just never know until people do stuff. Yeah. And then it usually becomes pretty clear pretty quick. And yeah. so, yeah, that's great.
1: The other thing that I found is not everyone's looking for a long-term relationship, right? And so some people are looking for just a, a few extra dollars for the week or for the month. And so it's important to have that conversation about what your needs are ahead of time. Like I had a great one who graduated and went and got another job right after I had spent all the time training him. And you, you mm, pay for that yeah. time. You, you might not be paying very much, but you're putting your time into really manicuring them into, you know, the, the assistant that you want. And it's hard to then have them leave. So, um,
2: Oh, you are, you are preaching it right now. I can't even tell you. (laughs) You're you're just touching my soul. Yes. With how many times I've just poured into someone to teach them everything I can know. And then they're like, okay, thanks. I don't think it's for me. Or something's more important. And then they leave. Uh, Like once you've been through that enough times, that's when you start to understand why successful business people are constantly saying you need a system, you need a checklist, you need a list of all the things that have to get done. Before you have that problem, that's just a nuisance. You're like, why do I need to do that? It's in my head. It's in my head. It's faster. I can just do it myself. But once you go through training someone and taking what's in your head and putting it in their head, which is extremely time intensive and frustrating, and you see how like not, I can't think of the word I'm trying to say how infrequently that person actually works out. You start to crave. I just want to give you this Google drive checklist and let's see how you do. I'm not yeah. going to sit here and walk you through this thing. And that becomes so important. But like you're saying, Stephanie, when you get the right one, it's like rocket fuel. Boom. You just, you take off and, and you think all the time, how did I ever do this without said person?
1: Yeah. And it's funny. I actually was just talking to Jay Martin and he, he mentioned randomly that if he wants them to learn a new task, he just gives them some articles to read. And I was like, Whoa, what do you mean? Like you don't train them yourself. You actually have them just go off and do some research. And that was a real game changer too. Like I like mm, to, yeah. I have checklists and a bunch of instructions, video instructions, and you know, they, they can follow my work really carefully, but it is important for them to be able to expand and grow. and so. I think that you've got different levels of testing someone. So I like to test them with tasks that they follow. And then once you know, okay, you've got somebody that you can really work with here, then expand them out. But the challenge is, is that you're still naturally going to have turnover, right? I mean, not everyone's going to be as invested in your business as you are. So I think it's important that we start to look, at first to automate whatever we can before we start to delegate it, right? Mm-hmm. So in an ideal business, you're delegating only what's left over after you automate. So I, I've i recently started to imp- implement as much automation as humanly possible into my business. So using mm-hmm. auto tasks that are created that are easy to track in my marketing, anything that you do repetitively, you really... If you can create like a flow chart of if this happens, then this happens, then that happens you can automate that. So I have a direct mail system, for example, that auto creates a PDF that, that goes to every recipient that I want. And then my virtual assistant just sends that PDF to my printer who prints them, folds them and sends them to my local assistant who handwrites it and sends it out. But those ma- those mailings are generated every single month Overnight, I get an email saying they've been generated. Your assistant has the next task to move it forward and, you know, have a great day. So I think that yeah. in that situation, my virtual assistant is really not the driver of the process and they're kind of replaceable. Not that I want to replace people, but I think it's important to, to protect your business and make it run in a way that even if your virtual assistants are changing over, your business is still running.
2: Yeah, what you're describing is you want to be the person that creates the blueprint. So whatever contractor you hire can build out what you want. right? And some contractors are better than others. Not everybody has the same skill set. You do have to go through contractors, but you don't want to have to create a new set of blueprints every single time you hire a new person. Once you've got the blueprints, then it's just a matter of running different people through. And a good contractor doesn't need a lot of handholding. When you hand them the blueprints, they know what to do with it. And then you can see the result and you know that's the person I want. And it does take work to get to that point. Like, I don't want anyone to think that we're saying, oh, this is all you got to do. Like most things in life, it is simple, but it is not easy. It's it's difficult, but it's not complicated. If, for the people that ask, what am I supposed to do? It's very simple. Make a checklist of everything that has to be done. That's automation. Find a person that can do it. That's delegation. We're not talking about you know, rocket science in this instance. Um, But that's where you earn the wealth, right? That's where you earn the life you want. The life of freedom is because you took the time to put these systems together that then do their own thing. And what's cool about it, Stephanie, is you've created a world where somebody can get paid by you to help make you money and they love it. That's a job. That's what they needed. You're putting food on their table for that person and you benefit from that because they're making you good wealth. And I mean, it's a beautiful thing when you think about it.
1: Yeah. And I mean, we're in a, we're in a place now where technology is so robust that you can use technology to push your business forward. And that's, that's really where automation comes in, right? So you can, you can start a process and it can happen automatically and you can track things. And I I mean, so I use Podio to track all of my processes. Google drive has the like standard operating procedures But then Podio actually tracks it in live time so I can see how it applies to each person. So I think that we're really in an incredible place where uh, we can work remotely. Like we're all connecting from different places now. And it really gives you the opportunity, especially for those new investors who are are bootstrapping, right? It gives them the opportunity to hire someone for what they need for the amount of time that they need.
2: Mm. That's good. Yeah,
3: Really good. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. Just go to indeed.com/biggerpockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. indeed.com/biggerpockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Listeners, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening, they've rolled out proof of income verification. Let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid-certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your Pro membership at BiggerPockets, and if you're not a Pro, they're offering the six-month plan for just one dollar. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit RentReady.com. That's R-E-N-T R-E-D-I dot com, and use the code BPInvestor. That's BP like BiggerPockets Investor to get six months of Rent Ready for one dollar. Take a second and imagine this. Immediate cash flow, above average rent, built-in equity, and a foolproof exit plan. No, it's not 2012 again. This is just what it's like to invest with Integra Development Group. They've simplified the real estate investing process so everyone can invest. With their new construction single-family rent-to-own homes, you'll get aggressively priced brand-new properties that have tenants in place now in one of the fastest-growing states in America, Florida. Here's how IDG's rent-to-own strategy works. You get exclusive access to inventory with aggressive pricing thanks to IDG's builder-partner relationships. Then, invest and collect immediate cash flow with tenants already in place at or very close to closing. With the demand for new builds, your tenants pay above market rent, so you rake in more cash flow. And you'll get built-in equity and appreciation with an already agreed-to purchase price at year three, helping the tenants become homeowners while you build wealth. That's investing simplified. So secure your next investment property today with Integra Development Group at IntegraDG.com. That's IntegraDG.com to start investing today. So yeah, I
0: I know there's a thing Tim Ferriss talks about where before you... Before you delegate, make sure you can automate, which is exactly what you just said. And yeah. you said even before you automate, eliminate. So like, get rid of whatever just doesn't need to happen, which is a lot of what we do. Uh, but, and I, I think all those things are like super essential. So if you could just give somebody like those listening right now, they're like, okay, I've decided I'm going to automate more things in my business. Where should they start? Like, what's the first thing you think somebody should automate? Uh, if, and again, I know everyone's got different businesses and different things, but any just quick tips on on getting started with automation?
1: Um. Oh man. So I think with automation, what, if you want to, the, sorry, I, yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, if you want to, if you want to focus on one thing in particular, I'd say that applies to is marketing in terms of getting deals. Yeah. So, cause I did want to go into like how you're getting deals also. And you've mentioned direct mail a few times. So if you want to try to focus it that way, I'm happy with that or wherever you want to go, but. That's definitely where I'm headed in this conversation. So.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think direct uh, direct mail and marketing can absolutely be a way that you automate. Lead capture can be a way that you automate. Even like QuickBooks Online is a way of automating a lot of your uh, your bookkeeping, right? And then you just have someone who kind of filters through and making sure that the everything's categorized properly. So I have a bookkeeper. That's a delegation part, but automation is certainly yeah. a function of that. But the marketing piece is definitely a big one And then rent collection is one of my gateways to how I got into automation and delegation in particular, because I didn't want to be chasing rent. And I got to the point that I had to actually write down all of my properties and figure out who has paid and who hadn't. And so I took a rent collection software and that has been tremendous. E-signatures, things like that. That's an amazing way to automate uh, because you can create templates, populate and things go out really quickly. So whatever, That's cool. I would say, start with little tasks. Don't try to take a whole process and automate it. Start with just one of your little tasks that is taking a lot of time and you do a lot. And how can you create an if-then statement? And if you can create an if-then statement, you can create an automation for it.
0: Yeah, excellent, excellent. So how are you using that automation in your marketing? You said, I mean, a little bit about like the direct mail stuff. Is that how you're getting... Deals today? Or is that how you're looking for deals? Is through direct mail?
1: Um, nope. I've been actually buying through auctions and buying through okay. wholesalers. But I just started doing a uh, direct mail campaign that's fully automated, except for you know the virtual assistant who will send sure. send the things to the printers. But that's all through Podio, and I really recommend Podio as a great place for somebody who's looking to build automation and and delegation because it's an online collaboration software. They have a free version and I love strugglinginvestor.com. Scott Costello does a great job of putting out tutorials uh, on how to build out campaign, like marketing campaigns. My direct mail campaign is entirely built off of the one that he put out there. It took me 30 hours to put it into my podio system, but you could hire somebody to do that too. Um, And so that's just the only thing that I have to do for that Direct mail campaign is to upload the list into Podio and hit start. After that, once you've set up the campaign, you can change out the letters, you can change out your signature, uh, but it it happens automatically where the the mailings are created. It does impl- it does actually incorporate my real signature into it, and then uh, and then I've got that local assistant again who handwrites the envelope. So even though I just started, I sent out 150 letters, and I got two calls after my very first letter. So that's I think cool. that's a really strong response rate just from, uh, I haven't closed the deal yet, on sure. it, but it's a stronger sure. response rate based on the fact that I didn't have to do anything for it, which is great.
0: Yeah. And and the great thing about automation and delegation, and all that is it's largely scalable. So if you wanted to send 1500 letters, you could build that system out and not much more difficult than building that 150.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Which is why I'm leaving yeah. my job. <laughs>
0: There you go. All right. So let's talk real quick about uh, your your property management. You mentioned that you're using some rent collection tools. Uh, What do you use for that, by the way, software wise? How do you collect Uh, rent?
1: Payourrent.com. It's very similar to Cozy, which a lot of people use. Okay. Yeah. Um, It's great for the smaller investor. It tracks your properties. It assigns, you you can track multiple units in each property. It assigns late fees based on a percentage or amount based on the rules that you set up. Uh, It also allows for you to collect applications, security deposits all online. I do not recommend collecting security deposits online though. I actually recommend. Why is that? Because it takes two weeks for the Mm. check to actually process. So it will look like it's deposited into your account. You may hypothetically have someone named, uh, uh, not named, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I will not name him, move into the property and then the check bounces after they're in. So I recommend a certified check. For security yeah. deposit only. But what's really nice about pay your rent that I love is it allows for the tenants to opt into credit reporting. So it builds your credit, it builds their credit as they uh, you know, as they show a positive payment cool. history. Yeah. So it's a good partnership between you and the tenant, and people love it. It starts the relationship what, off right.
0: what have you found to be the most challenging part of managing your own rentals? And what have you found to be easier than you thought would be?
1: The hardest part for sure has been um, the maintenance requests. I think it's one of the only things as, um, as a property owner that is entirely reactive and is not done on your schedule. And so mm-hmm. I use, uh, electronic keys, uh, keyless entry so that my handyman can go in. I don't have to be a part of it, change the codes afterwards, but yeah, that, and also it's hard because a tenant may call you and you don't know if it's something that needs to be addressed. You don't know if it's a plumber or the HVAC guy that needs to go out there. So I find that to be the hardest part. Yeah. So I really send my handyman out there for an initial diagnostic on almost anything. And he'll give me a true sense of, hey, this is a tenant cause problem. There's a fork in the uh, garbage disposal, you know? Yes. Okay. So that's that's a tenant problem. Yeah. The easiest part I would say has been has been leasing. I always thought that it would be really hard to find tenants. Like you've got to find one and hold on to them with everything you've got. And I've actually found that the, um, you know, if you put out a good product and you put a good persona out there that naturally people want to live in a place where there's a good environment. And I've had no problems in properties. Um, in my duplex, I've owned it for seven years and I've had two months of vacancy over the entire seven years. And that Oh, that no. was a really good indication. Like, oh, landlording is
0: so easy. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I feel like when I looked back, I used to think that would be hard too. I thought feeling, finding good people, like there's a lot of horror stories. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a learning curve there and you got to learn how to find good people. But just finding tenant, like, I mean, I, I still have people to this day ask me the question all the time. Like, Like, but what do you do if you can't find a tenant? And I'm like, I've literally never had that problem. Now, I'm not saying people don't have that problem, but I've literally never had that problem because like, I just lower the rent. And then there's always right. more people interested. Like, if we don't get a call, enough calls in the first couple of weeks or a couple of days, okay, we'll lower the rent or we're going to market harder and we're going to put up more advertisements or a sign in the yard. But there's always somebody that wants to rent.
1: Right. If you uh, don't have somebody that wants to rent, you're doing something wrong. That's your fault. Yes. It's not the property's yes. fault. It's not the tenant's fault. That's just, you know, you've, you've done something wrong.
0: You've done something wrong.
2: Yeah. Yep. 100% agreed. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you, Stephanie. Investing in Connecticut specifically, can you tell me what it is about your market that you think somebody needs to be able to do well if they want to have success there?
1: Mm, I think they have to be able to improve the property value through renovations, realistically. Um, Mm. I mean, we've got a lot of money coming into Connecticut through New York and other first-tier markets that are like that, like our cap rates when they're tightening up, um, ours are also tightening, but we're not seeing cash flowing turnkey assets. So in order to really be successful here, and like I said, we don't, we don't see appreciation either. So you're not going to buy for appreciation. You're not going to buy turnkey for cash flow. So for me, what I've seen in talking to other investors is you're really going to have to force appreciation and find a creative way to increase the, the income.
2: I like that. And that's something I want to start asking people more often because there's markets across the country that have things in in common with each other. You know, I heard someone say on social media the other day that Miami, Florida is starting to look a lot like Southern California. And I thought that's probably a good point. It probably draws the same kind of people. The weather's similar price points are probably similar. Florida doesn't have a state income tax. That's one thing they've got on California. But I, I just started to think about the fact that investing in certain Midwest cities is probably very similar to other Midwest cities. And the strategies that work in Indiana are probably also likely to work in maybe Kansas City. And if we can start getting guests to share, hey, this is what I'm doing in my market and someone lives in a market similar or invests in a market similar, those strategies will work. So what I hear you saying is that don't bet on appreciation because we may be topped out and you're not going to get massive cash flow just buying a house. You're going to be the person who has to value add. Find something under market value and make it worth more. And that's how you're going to build wealth.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Beautiful.
0: Yeah, really good. Really good. All right. Well, before we get out of here, get on to the next segment of the show. I actually want to ask you one more question. Where do you, where do you see yourself headed? I know you mentioned multifamily earlier. Is that, uh, what's your strategy look like for that right now? What are you looking for?
1: So I'm looking for out of state in a particular market that I'm focused on. i looking for anywhere from six to 25 units. And that's, I guess, a dream, but really I'm going to continue focusing on what I'm doing well here in Connecticut and build that up. I mean, I, I have the process. I know how to buy, I know how to renovate. I've got a good team of contractors. So I'm going to really ramp up uh, my marketing efforts here locally, my buying efforts here locally, and that should help supplement with active income to help me get into the multifamily, which will encourage the passive income too.
0: All right. All right. Well, with that, let's head over to the next segment of the show. It's our deal. deal deep dive. deep dive. Hey, it's Brandon, and I wanted to take a quick break from this podcast to invite you to this week's BiggerPockets webinar, which is like an online class. And this week is gonna be something that's really, really popular around BiggerPockets, how to buy small multifamily properties. Because look, small multifamily properties changed my life, and they can be one of the best real estate investment vehicles out there, especially those who are fairly new to real estate. There's so many benefits to buying small multifamily properties, which is why this week, I'm gonna be dedicating like 90 minutes of just direct training on how to get started with this. You're going to learn how to find them, how to analyze them, how to finance them, uh, as well as some of the dangers. There's like four specific dangers I call out that you should know before you even make an offer. So don't miss this. Just go to biggerpockets.com slash webinar Again, M-U-L-T-I. So biggerpockets.com slash webinar And I will see you there. All right. This is the part of the show where we dive deep into one of your recent deals, something that's gone really good or maybe something that's done really bad or somewhere in between. So Stephanie, do you have a deal in mind we can go through in depth?
1: Sure. Do you want to go through one that I'm like midway through?
0: Sure. That'd be great. Okay. So let's well, the- start with it. Yeah, what kind of property is it?
1: It's a single family. This is a flip property in uh, okay. Southwestern Connecticut. So it draws a lot of people from like the New York area.
2: All right. Number what- two. Did how it? did you find this property?
1: This was through a wholesaler that came to me. And, and
2: how, do you, did. how did you connect with there this you wholesaler? That's my follow up question. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. This guy actually came to me on LinkedIn, which was really strange. So it made me a little wary to get a blast like that. Um, so I did a ton of conservative underwriting on it. And uh, I've actually lost money on a flip that I got through a wholesaler. And so I'm very wary of doing it again. So, no. uh, so yeah, I just did really conservative underwriting and it's an hour and a half from me, which meant I didn't know the market as well. So I just wanted to be super conservative on all my numbers, but I met with them, sure. vetted him out, uh, looked at the property, brought a contractor through. And I do mostly my own estimating, but this one, because it was outside of my market and, you know, I had that past experience of a, of a loss. I really just wanted to bring my contractor through as well. So Wholesaler on LinkedIn.
0: All right. Uh, how did you negotiate? Uh, sorry, sorry, how much was
2: it? How much did you pay for the property?
1: 200.
2: Brandon likes to ask my questions. I'm supposed to ask you, <laughs> how did you negotiate that price? <laughs>
1: <laughs> we had actually come to a higher price. I think we we're at 220. He set the asking price and I pushed back. I didn't agree with his ARV. I didn't agree with his uh, estimates on rehab, so I showed him, you know, what I looked like, what what my underwriting looked like, and what I could afford to pay. We hit two twenty. Actually, it came out that there was a septic, a, a septic tank there. I had never worked with septic tanks before, so I called in a specialist who knew the area really well. And he said, based on the uh, age of the septic system, you're probably going to have to replace it. It's probably faulty. I asked for a price range. He said, it was you know, fifteen to twenty five thousand dollars to uh, replace the septic system. So I negotiated the price down 20000 and said, you know, I don't know if it works. I'm not willing to take that risk. I've never worked with a septic tank before. Maybe some yeah. other buyer is going to be a better buyer for you, but my price just dropped 20000 So yeah, um, you, it turns you, out the septic system is actually fine. So
2: <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> oh, nice. You you avoided being in deep crap.
1: Yeah,
0: literally, ah, Yeah.
1: But, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs>
2: That's funny. All right.
0: How, uh, how did you fund this deal?
1: Um, this was a combination of hard money and private money, which is what I've been doing. So it's a, a uh, short-term bridge loan and yeah. And then a secondary loan for the down payment and advancing the renovation costs.
0: Was that from like a a family member, friend, that kind of, okay,
1: Yeah. cool. This is a friend. She's been a repeat lender on mine. We've done two deals together. Yeah.
3: All right.
2: What did you do with the deal how what was that uh what, like did you bury it? Was it a flip? Was it a single family rental?
1: Oh, yeah, so I'm in the middle of a flip actually we did uh we did some cosmetic improvements on the interior. we also did a layout change roof, some structural uh not structural, but a French drain in front of the garage, but it will be a flip. We just got the permits to move ahead. It actually was interesting because it was a tax lien foreclosure, and I ended up getting the lot next door as part of the foreclosure, I, no one expected it, but it was on the same deed that got foreclosed, which ended up being really helpful because the house was too close to the, the property line. So that it was in noncompliance. So, uh, a lot of extra work because I got that extra lot next door. Um, but yeah, it'll be a flip. And so I wanted to go back. I told you, I, I, I uh, underwrote it really conservatively. And yeah. I estimated that the resale value would be 360. I don't know if I'm jumping ahead.
0: No, go ahead. Go ahead. But that's kind of the last question here is like, what was the outcome? And Yeah. Like what, what will be the outcome? We'll go there.
1: Okay. So hopefully, uh, hopefully my ultimate buyer is not listening to this, but, uh, <laughs> So I underwrote it, assuming that the ARV would be 360. And as part of the hard money loan, I had to get an appraisal on it, and they came back and said that the uh, ARV should be 430. So I ended up getting wow. a 20000 twenty thousand $20, dollar price reduction on the septic, and also had a massive price increase. And I don't even think I'm going to put it on for 430 because I'm just going to want to move it, and it'll be coming on the market in mid November. Um, but uh. Yeah, I, I think it ended up being a really good deal. And
0: and what what did you put into it? How much money, like total, will you have in for repairs and uh, holding it'll costs be and all that? About a seven,
1: about a seventy thousand dollar renovation project.
0: All right, yeah. cool. So yeah, there'll be some good profit there.
1: Yeah, it'll be a good one.
2: That's awesome. All that was, right, last, last question then of that. What lessons did you learn from this deal?
1: From this deal, um, so I think that sticking to your guns and making sure that you that you know what you know. So the big comparison from the deal that I lost money on was I allowed myself to be persuaded by someone that I considered to be more seasoned than me, um, into their, into their conclusions, the property, and that didn't work for me. So this time I went into this and I just had absolute final numbers. I underwrote it in a way that I just followed my systems. Basically. I knew exactly what I could offer, not a penny more. Uh, I came in at, my offer price, which is a percentage of that. I knew what my max number was. um, And I just didn't deviate. And because I had that system in place, I was willing to walk away if he didn't agree to my number and he could have found another buyer, but it wouldn't have worked for me. And so I felt comfortable going forward and I wasn't going to second guess the relationship because I had my checks and balances in place.
2: I think that's the way that when you're going to flip a house, that's the mindset you have to have, right? Mm -hmm. Assume everything will go wrong buy it at a price that you can still make money or break, even if everything goes wrong and your profit margin is all the things that didn't go wrong. Like right. I, I just, I've done it <laughs> enough times where I realized how lucky we got that I've changed the mindset from, well, I'll pay this. I'll rehab for that. I'll sell it for this. I'll make this much. That's not taking into factor all the things that can go wrong, right? Assume the right. septic tank has to be replaced. Assume you're going to sell it for less than you thought. Assume it's going to take longer than you thought. Assume all bad stuff, write it at that price and then if right. things don't go wrong, that's the money that you make. And it's, it'll be harder to lose money. You won't buy as many deals, but you'll ultimately, I think, do a lot better.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. And I never want to go through that loss again. So mm. <laughs> it, yeah, it really changed the way that I go into deals and I'm really grateful for it.
0: Yeah, so I mean, sometimes the, the best lessons are learned from those times where we fail or we lose money or you know, we kick ourselves. So oh, wow. you know, good attitude to have that you're you know, learning from it. Now let's move on to the next segment of the show. That was an awesome deal, Deep Dive. But now it's time for our fire round. It's time for the fire round. All right, world famous fire round. This is the part of the show where we fire questions at you, just a quick and, uh, I guess, fire back and forth questions from the bigger pockets forums okay. where people have asked questions. So we're going to see what you got to say to this. Stephanie, Amanda says in Washington state, said, Hey everyone, I'm a new wholesaler out of Washington state. I would like to ask fellow investors, how do I find cash buyers? So how can Amanda find people like you who bought that property from you?
1: Oh man, Amanda, you've got an easy task ahead of you. There are so many cash buyers, uh, go to a meetup group post on bigger pockets. LinkedIn obviously works, but yeah, just, I think go to meetup groups and there's a lot of Facebook groups out there for local investors too. just put out there that you're actively finding deals and want to, want to add to your buyers list. You'll have no problem filling it up in no time.
2: Awesome. All right. Good answer. Next question from Philip Davis in Edgerton, Wisconsin. Uh, Hey, BP peeps, I'm at the conference and it's starting to really decompress the last couple of days, by the way. So I know this is David talking, the conference in Nashville was awesome. If you were thinking, I wish I would have went, you should have went, Stephanie, you were there. I believe that's <laughs> where I met you. Uh, Brandon, you were there. It was a great time had by all. I haven't heard one negative thing. So anybody who's thinking about going, you should keep going. And then maybe you'll get to meet Philip here. Who's asking this question. All right. Back to the question. I am wondering what some other attendee experiences were. What were some tips that were picked up? Any thoughts on attending conferences in general?
1: Mm, I think to get the most out of conferences, you should go into it with some connections already made. So you can can post who's going, you can either connect on the app. Um, So have a few connections, have some lunches planned. There's a lot of like industry specific or topic specific meetups that are happening. Go to those because that way you're not walking around by yourself. Uh, you get to join a group that can mastermind with you and then also like know what you want to get out of the conference. So if you know that you've got one big question that you want answered or one connection that you need made, plan ahead and ask for that every time you meet somebody.
0: Like it. Very good. I love that. Yeah, that's a really good answer. Next question. If you're starting to invest in real estate while working a day job, did investing make you better at your career in any way? What are some unexpected benefits to investing in real estate for your career? Interesting question.
1: Yeah, actually. So because I had to be really protective of my time and I started developing systems outside my work, I realized how beneficial they were uh, and implemented them in my job as well. And so I use Podio now in the law firm to make sure that we're running the checklist Mm. and, and doing the same thing that every entrepreneur should be doing, which is just making your systems and and following them. So yeah, it absolutely made me better because I was improving outside so I could
2: improve inside. And I just see nice. that with so many things. When someone starts to do better in one area of life, they start to do better in the other areas of life, you know, and then that bleeds over into others and and people tend to be spiraling up or spiraling down. I love that question because we don't we talk about finding wealth through real estate on the podcast, but some of the unexpected benefits like this person said is that the rest of your life starts to get better as well. So you answered that very well. Thank you. Okay. Last question from James Santana in Bayshore, New York. Short-term rentals have been a big development over the last few years. What's another big trend in real estate that you think is going to develop over the next five to 10 years that we should start paying attention to now so we can take advantage of it?
1: Well, I think that co-working spaces like live, work, play places are going to become much more common. So as more people are self-employed, they are not working in an office environment. They're a little bit more isolated. They want to have more collaboration. I think that we're going to start to see that multifamilies are decreasing the amount of exclusive space and starting to increase the percentage of uh, collaborative space that's in their common areas. So I I think there's going to be a trend for more collaborative common spaces, both in office and in uh, multifamily.
2: Yeah, I agree. I agree, David Green, what do you think about that question? What do you see as developing? What's coming? I think virtual assistants or assistants in general are going to become a bigger thing. I think if somebody can figure out a CRM that actually works and doesn't make you do a ton of work to figure it out, that that would just (laughs) (laughs) spread like wildfire. I think that's going to be a big thing. I think house hacking, when people actually start to realize how efficient it is, and like I've said, it's not just efficient for the person that owns the house, though that is, it's better for the person who's renting the room or renting the unit as well. And when people start actually incorporating these principles, like a lot more people will be homeowners than how it's traditionally been, where it's just the wealthy people can buy property and people who don't understand real estate can't. I agree. House hacking is such a natural transition into learning how to be a landlord. It's really mm-hmm. hard to take that step to, I'm going to buy a rental property and go through all this stuff and make all these mistakes and possibly lose all this capital and go through all this emotional fear. Not a lot of people can make that jump. Those of us that do, it's amazing, right? We go completely all in. But house hacking, just it's like training wheels. It's an easy way to move from your big wheel to a bike without having to worry about falling over really yeah. easily. And I think as more and more people start to recognize that I can learn how to be a real estate investor with very little risk and very little capital as a house hacker, that that's gonna become a bigger thing. And I hope it does because I'm sick yeah. of these huge hedge funds buying all the houses and you know, the regular everyday person, it's harder to do it. What about you, Brandon?
0: I don't know. I mean, I think the biggest trend happening in the one of the biggest trends in the world happening is uh, the whole automation of car thing. Mm-hmm. So I think that is going to impact every other industry, including real estate. And so a couple of things, like I would not buy a parking lot downtown in any city right now. Mm-hmm. Because I think that in a few years, everyone will get dropped off by their car and their car will go out and park somewhere outside the city. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's going to impact a lot of things. And I, I don't know what that does for people's houses necessarily, but
2: I, I bet think it changes, the commercial um, that's going to affect a lot. I bet it changes the areas where houses are valued higher. Like right now, everybody mm-hmm. wants to be in the downtown area. But if you can sit in a car that will drive you to work... And for an hour... And do your work in the car yeah, while you're driving. And then, then yeah. the commute doesn't really bother you. And I think that traffic jams will get cleared up because the cars will communicate yeah. with each other and you won't have these log jams as easier. So yeah, I think like long distance investing or not being in the hot part won't be as important in real estate as, you know, moving further out of town, but getting a bigger house and a bigger lot and all those kinds of things. Do you agree? Agreed. Agreed. Do
0: you agree, Stephanie?
1: I agree. Confirmed. All
0: right, we're on agreement. All right, we can, we can get out of here. <laughs> we can move on now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next segment of the show. It is time for our
2: famous Four.
0: these are the same four questions we ask every guest every week. But before we ask them to you, Stephanie, let's hear from our buddy, Jay Scott. What's going on this week on the bigger pockets business podcast?
3: Hey there, Brandon and Bigger Pockets podcast listeners. This is Jay Scott, your co host of the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. And this week on the Business Podcast, we have Jamie and Brian Ratner. They are co founders of a business called Certificate, and they're going to tell us all about how they went from having zero business experience to building a $40 million company that just raised over $600,000 on Shark Tank. So listen in this week on the Bigger Pockets business podcast and now back to your famous four
0: all right thank you to jay scott and carol scott for running that show it's awesome you gotta make sure you guys are listening to that show it's so good number one of the famous four stephanie favorite real estate related book
1: Ooh, uh i mean i'm still gonna go rich dad poor dad it's uh, it's real estate ish
2: it is real estate ish i agree okay what Maybe is your book. favorite business book uh
1: the e-myth by michael gerber by far
2: Mm, so good we're going right down the middle Mm, with some of these number three Uh, there we are how about uh, some hobbies
1: uh i play volleyball i work i um work with an animal rescue that brings animals uh, dogs from high kill shelters down south up north like to camp and hike spend time with my family like beautiful
0: beautiful cool Number four, what do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from all those who give up, fail, or never get started?
1: The willingness to get a little uncomfortable. So you got to get out there in the field. You're going to have to figure things out that you might not know what the end result is. You got to put yourself in a position to know that you're going to be okay at the end of the day.
2: That's good. Good. That's really good. Okay. Really good. That's deep. My last question. That's an Instagram like video quote card right there. That is... I'm that'll make making it happen. Yeah. You, and you should tweet that when we get it, done then. here, Stephanie. Like, we're going to tweet it. Because if okay. you don't, Brandon will take credit for that quote when you're not looking. <laughs> <laughs> you better copyright <laughs> it right now. <laughs> this is copyright. I don't, don't, do don't steal quotes.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. My last question for you Where can people find out more yeah. about you?
1: Um, well, you can find me on, uh, sunrisebuyshouses.com. You can find me on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Stephanie sunrise, happy to answer emails and things like that, but bigger pockets as well. I've got a profile on there and I'm happy to connect with people. Uh, send me, send me a message.
0: Will do right now. (laughs) Thank you, Stephanie.
1: With my own quote.
0: Yes, I will. Hey, Stephanie, I got a really good quote for you. You know what you should have
2: said on the podcast.
0: (laughs) 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 All right, Stephanie. Thank you so much. It's been fantastic. We really, really appreciate having you here and it was awesome getting to see you in Nashville this year and uh, hopefully we'll connect at the next BP con if not sooner.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me guys.
0: And that was our interview with Stephanie Cabral. Stephanie was awesome. Uh, Awesome. Very cool stuff today, especially with that. Like I love that virtual assistant
2: stuff, man. I need to get more on that train. That's cool. Yeah. And Stephanie didn't just say what a lot of people say, get a virtual assistant. She actually shared those practical steps you can take to prepare for that. Right. Because you get a VA and they're going to say, what do I do? And you go, yeah, what what do you do? How do I get what's in my brain into your brain? And, And the systems that you come up with make VAs possible. Yeah, it's so true. So
0: very, very cool. Well, Stephanie, good luck to you and everybody else listening. Uh, She had mentioned Upwork. So upwork.com is a great website for finding virtual assistants. I found uh, some on there's a thing called onlinejobs.ph. If you're looking for somebody in the Philippines, which I've worked with a lot of uh, uh, virtual assistants in the Philippines, onlinejobs.ph was a great one. And there's a lot of places out there, but those are just two recommendations for you. I don't know. That's all I got. David, what have you been reading lately?
2: Anything fun? I've been reading the Bible more and I'm reading a book called Beautiful Outlaw by John Eldridge, which I've really, really been liking, but nothing um, business related. What's funny though, is even though I'm not reading any business books, my business is actually doing really, really good. Uh, I've just been focusing on other things. I think not. I think not. That's the only time we ever say, I don't think. We say, I think not. We're trying to sound smart. That's funny. Just change the order of your words and you'll sound really smart. Yeah, Uh, Smart I sound. Oh, that's, that does sound smart. You, it's like talking to Tyrion Lannister while we're doing oh, a smart sounds. I. That's better. Smart, smart, smart sounds. I. <laughs> All right. Well. Um, no. No. Yeah. Not that's even true. close. What happened to yeah. Brandon? Can we? Yeah. Can we turn turn him off? Of like, it's like when you take your TomTom and you put it on. You want the English voice to give you directions. You're there like, can you we go. Yeah, put yeah. him back on American mode. <laughs>
0: <laughs> talk do we even have those anymore what no i guess that? it would be your phone yeah, that's a good your point phone. but you can actually make syria do you know that you can make syria like an australian dude it's pretty great a australian you, dude. on your phone yeah like a, a syria will be a guy in your phone from australia or a bunch of other things but i had there's australian all these little the funny
2: things that you can do with an apple phone that people don't mm-hmm. realize you know but there's yeah, i mean right. I, i've googled that before what can my iphone do and there's tons of stuff you didn't know your phone could do
0: that's today's quick tip Just kidding. All right, let's get out of here. David, do you want to take us out?
2: Yes, I am David Green, 24 on Instagram. He is Beardy Brandon. Let us know what you thought of today's episode. And uh, that being said, I am David Green for Brandon. I don't steal quotes Turner, but he does. Signing off.
0: (laughs) It's I quote myself. I quoted myself. I didn't steal a quote.
2: Get out of here. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio. Simplifying real estate for investors, large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com,
3: your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants. All great questions, my friends, all to be answered in the upcoming small multifamily boot camp with Chris Lopez and Leka Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpocketscom 4 four, F O U R, today and join us in the small multifamily boot camp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only.